Hey parents, whether you're going back to school or learning from home, the Preschool Box is here to help. The Preschool Box is all about helping children unlock their potential by making learning fun. Each month, the Preschool Box will send you a box packed full of engaging and educational activities with a focus on reading and math skills that will prepare your little one for success in school. It's amazing! These monthly work-at-your-own-pace activities encourage learning, reading, and creativity in kiddos aged 3 to 6, and each box has an array of hands-on activities, crafts, and worksheets, which you can structure to match your child's pace and level of development. And the best part is that every box has a set of focus skills, so each month you get new and exciting material to work on. The work you do at home now with your kids is so important for their future. Let the preschool box help you and your child have fun learning together. Head over right now to thepreschoolbox.com and use code PARENTDRIVEN to get $5 off your first preschool box. Welcome to Parent Driven Development. I'm Arit, and today I'm here with my friend Chris. Hello, I'm Chris Arcand, and I am here with my friend Allison. Hi, I'm Allison, and I'm so excited that we are here with our friend Scott today, and we're going to be talking about allowances for parents. So, Scott, I was wondering if you could start us off by just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you. Hi, I'm happy to be here with all my new friends. My name is Scott Hanselman. I live and work in Portland, Oregon, and I've got two kids, two little boys, 12 and 14, and they're currently alive and in they're being fed. So right now in quarantine world, I'm just crushing it as a parent. I think I'm doing an amazing job because that's my bar right now. You know, I'm watching all these things online about what you're supposed to be doing as a parent in quarantine and they are fed. So mission accomplished. Survival is the first step. That's perfect. Yes. Step zero. That's how I'm doing. <laughs> Excellent. And so, yeah, I'm curious what I feel like allowances for parents could mean any number of things. I'm curious what it means and how it works in your household. Well, so we have allowances for the kids. Like everyone gets that idea and everyone thinks that that, you know, we have different philosophies about allowance for kids. Our allowance for kids is very simple. We, we allow them to have some of our money and we give them basically their age a week in dollars. So the 12-year-old gets $12. And there's some minor chores, but we also started applying this to ourselves. So allowance for parents is including the parents in the allowance process, but it also helped avoid arguments and make budgeting life a lot easier. My wife and I used to have kind of what we call lowercase a arguments because, you know, we don't really have a lot of uppercase a arguments, but they're just kind of like eh, a little back and forth. Like I would come home with an Xbox game. And it's not like an argument, but it was more of a side eye. Like, do you really need to be buying that $60 Xbox game right now? Or she would come home with something that she wanted and I would side eye her a little bit. But then you're feeling a little judgy, you know, you're like, "Uh, but I shouldn't be judging you, but it's your money. But at the same time, I looked at the debit card in the, you know, we log into our bank and you start scrolling. And when you start at the first of the month, you see paycheck, mortgage. You know, big stuff, big stuff, big stuff. And then it was just a thousand little tiny two bucks, Starbucks, three bucks here, four bucks here, $60 Xbox game. It was a bunch of paper cuts that caused tension 
in our relationship. So we wanted to figure out how to make that go away. One way to phrase it would be, how could you make your ledger or your your balance sheet in your online banking not have to scroll to see the bills for the month when we realized that about 30 or 40 stupid little things were taking up the space when the big rocks were being being scrolled off the top. So we started giving each other a certain amount in cash every week, just at the same time we give the kids money. We actually all as a family every Sunday, go to the ATM, take the money out, put it in our pockets, and that is the money that we are allowed to have. So if I buy an Xbox game, it's completely changed our relationships. My wife doesn't even even switch. She actually is excited. What's this game? Tell me all about your game. The money aspect is removed because I wouldn't have bought it if I didn't have the money in my pocket. And I actually went and bought a virtual reality headset. It was like $300. And it took me months, but the kids saw me save up. My wife saw me save up. And no judgment calls are being made about the cost of this frivolous thing because it was done as part of the family allowance process. End of speech. I know there's a big long answer. So you're absorbing, you're absorbing the genius of the parental allowance idea. No, that that is genius for sure. It, you were talking about like tiny, <laughs> tiny paper cuts and the long ledger of yeah. small little things. It's it's always been amazing to me, like how weird the perspective of money is. Because like something could be very expensive and you look at it and you're like, oh, that's so expensive. And I'm just going to pick a random number, like $50. Oh my gosh, that's that's a that's an outrageous price for a single item. But then if you look at like, oh, I got Starbucks or whatever on this day and blah, blah, blah. And it kind of adds up. Suddenly like $50 is like nothing. And the the relative aspect of it is, is at every single level. Like you're talking about buying houses or buying coffees or buying everything. Like money is very weird like that. That's so true, Chris, because for me, it, it took a mind shift when I committed to eating healthier and, you know, having more salads and, you know, buying organic, you know, where I can. At first, it was it was hard to justify the cost before I realized that if I add up all the two dollar, three dollars that I'm spending on junk, it actually adds up to more than you know, this salad or this organic produce that I feel is like so expensive. And I think once I did like the the mental math, it, it was like, well, I'm actually spending more on what is like not the best for me. So yeah, money is weird. It's interesting though. I mean, this actually reminds me of, so my husband and I, when we got married, so we were married by, by a rabbi and I feel like most sort of clerical, like you have to do a handful of sort of marriage counseling, like just a handful of sessions. And so we had three sessions with the rabbi sort of to get to know us and sort of just to offer and ask like questions to us as a, as a couple. And one of the questions that, that ours asked that I, I know a lot of other rabbis also ask because I've had a lot of friends who have gone through this process with different rabbis. And we, we always get the same question. The question is, how much money do you feel like you can spend without consulting your partner? It's a very interesting question. And that obviously changes over time, right? Like as you, I don't know, when, when my husband and I got married, we were making a different amount of money. We didn't have the same sort of mortgage and childcare and, you know, like our budget sort of looked, looked different, but it does to me, like, as you were talking and immediately, it immediately reminded me of like, oh yeah, I remember how we answered that question, however many years ago. And like, I wonder how that is the same and different as our life has evolved. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm, Exactly. And I think you can even break it down to a a more essential atomic thing. My wife has has an MBA, so she's a business-minded person, okay? So we get married and she says, what's the plan here? I'm like, what do you mean, what's the plan? She says, I've seen business plans more organized than this marriage. What are we doing? Right? People sit down and they write their vows. And that's the last time that you write down what's the plan. So there's this thing you can go and Google called deliberate practice. We hear terms like mindfulness, intentionality. If you let your life happen by default, you just accept the defaults. It's like not reading the EULA when you sign up for iTunes or whatever. You can just let your life happen and your life will happen. And then at the end of it, you go, man, that really sucks. I don't really get to complain though, because I just kind of accepted the defaults. She says, what do we stand for? What's our plan here? What's our goal? What's your vision for the end of all this? And one of the things we said was marriage first, kids second. We're going to be here when the kids leave. We love the kids. They're great. But we were here 10 years beforehand. We plan on being here 50 years after. So yeah, it's great that the kids are here, but we're not sacrificing the marriage for the kids' happiness. We are a team and we have our priorities. So that was one thing. With the context of how much money, you know, those are the questions. How much money do you want to spend? We made an agreement when we had a certain amount of money that don't spend more than 100 bucks without giving me a heads up. But now we have discretionary up to about 250. So if, if she needs something, like I put tires on the car or I sent money to my sister overseas, without if it's less than 250, cool, good job, great. But if you're going to burn 500 bucks, man, we need to chat. Just a chat, a heads up. Let's talk about that. That's money. You know what I mean? That that is that, that number is different for everyone. It doesn't matter about the number. It matters about the intentionality, the deliberateness. When we got married, we wrote a marital mission statement where we decided we wanted a no drama marriage, and we would always remember that we are on the same side. So if anything ever came up, any assumptions, any little knee-jerk reactions to a thing, you stop and you go, hang on, I'm I'm on your side. So this this argument may just be a misunderstanding or a lack of us being intentional about what we're going to do. And we try to apply that in everything. That's really awesome. I'm learning so much just listening to you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I hope to learn from you all as well now that we're we're new friends. Maybe I'll come on in, any, in another year and we'll talk about something else. So I want to go back to one quick thing. You said, so do you use cash for everything then for your for your allowance for yourselves? You said you go about over the ATM? Mm-hmm. So we do two things. It's interesting. The plan was cash for everyone. My wife and I have stuck with cash. I have found that as I get older and as I get closer to retirement, all I want is a couple of $20 bills in my pocket. And it gives me a sense of of power. It makes me feel like I can do anything. If I have a hundred bucks and twenties in my pockets, oh my God, it's just a feeling of I can do anything. I have a hundred bucks in my pocket. Like, you know what I mean? Just having the money because I never had money growing up and now I have this hundred dollars. It makes me feel good every week. Additionally, when the money's gone, when your pockets are empty, that's a really clear sign that you're not having lunch at Chipotle today because you don't have any money. You eat at home. It's sack lunch day. But the children don't have that sense. They don't have that attachment to paper money that we do. So they would just leave it lying around. They'd have a dollar bill here and $2 there. We just started picking it up. And we realized that while dollar bills and cash were good and important for us 
psychologically, the children really need to understand the value of a dollar and be able to understand the virtualization of that. So how do you give a 12-year-old a debit card? That's insane. Like You don't open a bank account for a 12-year-old. When I was a kid, we would give them a, a savings bond from grandma. And then you, know, then you don't open a checking account until you're 20. But there's this wonderful app called Greenlight. And Greenlight makes a, it looks like a debit card, but it's effectively gift cards or stored value cards that look and act and behave like Visa cards. But you have full control in this wonderful app. So their allowances are paid with Greenlight. If they take money in and out, if they spend it, if they go on Amazon, I get a notification and I can categorize. I'm actually logging in right now. I can see my 14-year-old has $64. He has a spend, save, and give. And give is for charity. If he puts money in savings, he gets parent paid interest. Right now he gets 10% interest. And so far he's earned $5 in interest this year. I can indicate where he's allowed to spend money. So if he goes to 7-Eleven and tries to buy candy, I can block that from the phone. But then he can also indicate what charities he wants to give to. All of this managed with a wallet. And if he loses it, I can immediately click and turn it off. So Greenlight, I just cannot say enough nice things about this this app. That plus cash has has really revolutionized how we do allowance in the family. My son is is younger. My oldest is five, and so he's you know not using apps and stuff yet, but has has sort of you know piggy bank change. And oh yeah, gotta do that. I really yeah, and I I love the idea of we got him a give save spend piggy bank, and like right now he's mostly he just really likes you know putting money into and then dumping stuff out of them but Mm. just like even though he's young because we it's like a little bit different but we do family giving every year and we include him in that conversation and so I love Mm. like the the give save spend sort of and so your children get to decide like when they get their allowance Mm -hmm. what portion of money goes into which sort of category so we didn't want to indicate you know you'll tithe this way or you'll give that way and what this has allowed them to do though is to feel a sense of agency and control and my wife's family all lives overseas in zimbabwe so when when we needed to send some money over there we went to the boys as well and we said we're sending money to your aunt in in zim do you want to get involved and they were extremely generous. They're like, okay, I have $60 right now. I'll give $20, you know, and for a 12 year old to give 20 bucks to family for, you know, an unexpected expense is really, really exciting and significant. I do want to, uh, to, to back up one second and just agree with you on the, the age thing. My kids are 12 and 14. The, the 14 year old just got a phone. We're not a big screens family. So I'm not advocating in any way for, you know, screens for, for little kids. I wouldn't introduce a, a debit card like Greenlight until maybe the kid was maybe nine or 10. So 100%, you're doing the same thing. You're just doing it with physical buckets as opposed to virtual ones. So I totally agree with you on that. I had a question about the the amount for everyone. So you mentioned that your children get the amount of money, same as their age. Right. I'm curious, I know that, so the way that I feel like allowance used to work when I was a kid was that, you know, you did chores and different chores relate, you know, relate. if you did all your chores, you got your money or like certain chores were sort of worth a certain amount or, or whatnot. I'm curious for either your kids or for the adults, if there is any, if it's sort of like flat, the same amount every week, or mm. if it, if you can sort of like 
get more by doing like certain certain tasks. Yeah, yeah. So the, the there's two things there. Green the Greenlight app has an optional list of chores and it will automatically send money every in my case on every Sunday to the kids based on whether or not they completed their chores and I I check them off. So the kids say I did this, I look at it, I check it and then the money moves or it doesn't. But I I'm a big fan of allowance at least early on that isn't tied to chores. Chores are required, but I don't want them to be paid for chores because chores are about not being a crappy roommate. And this is a family and we are not peers, but we're soon to be peers as we're all, you know, growing to adulthood. I don't want it to be, hey, if you if I do the garage, you give me five, you give me five bucks. Because then they expect it in everything. The toilet's gotta be clean no matter what money you have or what plan you have. Cleaning the toilet is required to not be a lousy roommate. I'm not paying you for that. Uh, we are still arguing a little bit about whether or not they can do extra work. For big jobs where it's like, hey, there's some trash or some big work in the yard, I'll give you five bucks. That occasionally happens a couple of times a year. For example, we just did a garden in the backyard for the family. So we have three large beds for vegetables. I'm not going to pay them for that. Like That's a thing we all benefit from. Plus, their age a week is a lot of money. That's 12 bucks. So the 12-year-old's getting almost 50 bucks a month. He's expected to be thinking about not just things he wants to buy like toys, but even we have him thinking about college savings. So we give them a lot of money in the sense of their age of a week, and we don't give them additional money like to, to augment to kind of make up for that. Otherwise, I think they'd be just getting too much money. Does that make sense? Yeah, I was, just, I was actually just reading about, about this sort of topic where it's like, should you incentivize tasks with additional allowance or something like that? And I think a, a good way that I read about is that if it's a task that is for the good of the family, then they should just do it, as you as you said. But also the tasks that you maybe could incentivize in some small ways, maybe thinking about it in terms of would you would you pay someone else to do this sort of task? Like, is this sort of work that like oh, normally I cut the grass, whatever, I could pay someone else to cut my grass, but hey, maybe I'll offer to, you know, the kid if he wants to cut the grass, something like that. So if the kid wanted to augment by taking over a fundamentally undone chore, like I will be the grass cutter, I could see adding adding more money. I think the idea is to spread the the effort around. I do find that kids can bite off more than they can chew. So they'll say, oh, I can absolutely, I'll mow the lawn. And they'll do it for two weeks and that's the end of it. You know, So we tend to rotate our chores. I think it's the 14-year-old is garbage this week and dishes of the 12-year-old. And then that'll change next week. And we rotate the chores not between the kids, but between all four of us. So I was garbage last week. That tends to mix it up, keep it fresh. And they, show, they, they realize that we're all four working as a team, as opposed to I tell them what to do and they're just here as indentured servants. That's great. That's interesting. I know for for our son, he's eight and a half. It's interesting to hear about the the age-based allowance. For the most part, we do allowance based on tasks and there's certain chores that are just like we said, it's for the good of the family and so there's no expectation there. Another thing that we do with our son, though, and we felt like it was necessary to teach more of a sense mm. of responsibility is we have him contribute in quotes to the bills. 
And so from when he was about five, I, we haven't been as consistent and we really need to get back to the consistency, but, you know, we would have him like contribute to rent, for example, like a dollar. And the idea was just to impart the sense that things in life are not like free in the way you would think are free. And you may be enjoying these benefits because you're a child of the house, but they are being paid for in some way. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that kind of approach. Yeah. So the boys started Googling for stuff like, you know, how much does a programmer make? And they're starting to get a sense of scope. And we are consciously being careful to not let them know what reality is because it's just more complicated than it needs to be. So for example, they think that 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 our mortgage is $1,000 because it's a round number and it makes sense and that's fine. And it doesn't really take away from anything. We're not necessarily keeping them in the dark. We're just kind of like simplifying things. They We do keep them in on bills like food. So when we go to the store and it's like $100 or $200 food week, you know, when we go to pick up the groceries, mm-hmm. That allows them to go, oh my goodness, I make $10 a week or $12 a week, and we just spent 200 bucks on food. Wow, the parents are like working hard for us. That's a big deal, right? And then they can say, wow, I will pick this cheaper thing, or I'll pick this more nutritious thing, or I won't buy this because, wow, like that's five bucks. All the goal in this is perception management. I want them, like, I think they think a car is $1,000, right? Like they don't need, there's, there's scope, but it's supposed to be relative to the orders of magnitude about how much money that they have so that they can go and say, wow, I'm not just going to go and buy any old Xbox because that's like a lot of money. We want them to have a, we're manipulating their perception of the value of dollar so that they don't throw dollars away. So I think we have similar perspectives. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the really interesting things that I'm thinking about through this conversation and you know, I mean, other episodes that we've also done for the podcast about different different methodologies or thing, different things that we do with our families. Like one thing that strikes me as I feel like more unique these days than in the past is sort of the the idea of a family as a collective, right? So I think about some of the stuff that we're talking about here and like some of the things that we, you know, plan to do in the future with our children around money. Like I think of it in a very similar way to like how we solve problems in our house, right? When we have a, when we have a problem in our household, like that is not a problem that just like the parents are responsible for solving, right? If it is a household problem, then it is everyone's responsibility to help solve it. And, you know, I mean, we've, so we have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, right? The, the two-year-old is, is a little young for for problem solving, but she's, you know, but we will still like ask her her opinion. Like we'll give her the opportunity to contribute. And sometimes what she says is just like nonsense and unrelated to the conversation anyway. But the fact of the matter is, is that like at two, we are, we are creating it as like a habit and as space to involve her in the same way that we involve my son in the same way that we involve, you know, both of us as parents in sort of saying, this is a problem or this is something that we want to do, how, what are we as a family committing to doing to solving it? So Scott, I think like what you were saying about, you know, like the roommate thing, right. Or that like one day, eventually you will be peers. Like I, I love that framing and it just sort of, this conversation reminds me of, you know, some others that we've had or some ways that I feel like folks are often like approaching 
parenting our families these days. Yeah. My wife does always remind me though that that there's friendship style parenting where you try to be the kids' friends, but you also have to reassert that we're not peers, but we are based on context, right? I'm a peer with my father in that we are adults that vote and and pay mortgages and rent and all that kind of stuff. But I also, if the context changes, then he's my dad and I'll do what he says kind of a thing. So context switching is a part of life. And I think it is also a part of parenting. All right. So now is the portion of our show where we talk about genius or fail moments that we've had in the last couple of weeks. So these are um, things that we've done that have been really great, that have been just brilliant ideas on our part, that have been really fantastic or fails, things that we had the best of intentions or maybe we didn't even have best intentions and just sort of was a little bit of a failure. Who would like to go first? I can go first. So I have a fail this time around. My wife and I have always been pretty lax about carrying what sort of kids movies my three-year-old son is exposed to, specifically like anything Disney, right? We've got acquaintances that are very worried about the content that they, you know, expose to their kids, even during, even in like kids' movies and whatnot. And, you know, like the concept of death not being shown to them at all or anything like that. And we don't really believe in that. We think that like, you know, the concept of death is not something you should just keep from your kids for too long, but that's a whole separate episode to talk about, I suppose. So anyways, when we fire up Disney Plus to watch a movie or whatever, we basically assume that like anything is fair game in the entire menu. And, you know, we've gotten through basically every classic animated Disney and Pixar film and whatnot. And recently we wanted to watch something totally new to uh, any of us that we hadn't really seen before. And we decided to watch uh, Big Hero 6. And I've never seen this one at all. About halfway through it, the main villain shows up and, you know, it actually is kind of a little dark, a little scary. And my my poor three-year-old son got very, very tearfully scared and didn't want to watch anymore. And it was just a total fail. And I've noticed that he's a lot more sensitive to any, you know, even remotely scary part of any movie now. So I feel like it was kind of a big fail moment and made me realize that while I still believe sad or scary content is the thing you should always avoid, I learned that I definitely have to be a little more cognizant of what exactly we're going to be watching with him. I can go next. Mine is a fail. There's a part of me that wants to blame the quarantine, but I can't really blame the quarantine that the daycares were closed. And, you know, I, my, my daughter, she's almost three and we were doing really good with potty training until the shutdown happened. And I just, in my mind, mentally blamed the quarantine, but it doesn't really come to bear. Anyway, I really slacked off on her potty training and she was back in pull-ups and you know back in all things absorbent anyway they recently returned to daycare and from day one her teachers were like no no pull-up she's gonna do underwear and i i thought it would be a disaster because for practically two months she's been in pull-ups but I guess surprisingly for me, she she never had one accident and it's been almost a week and she's been completely dry at daycare. So I guess it's it's a win for her and a fail for me <laughs> and definitely a, a kick in the butt that, you know, I need to get back on on the on the, the I need to get back on the ball. So, yeah. 
Well, I wouldn't say genius. I mean, I I can definitely relate to the idea of picking the wrong movie. We did go for a while trying to like share our history and share our past and like show the kids like you got to watch this classic movie. And we we live here in Oregon, so Oregon is known for where The Goonies was filmed. And it turns out that The Goonies does not hold up in 2020 at all. (laughs) And we basically got like 12 minutes into it. And we're just like, this is just really not a film that we need to be watching today. There's just a bunch of context that's completely missed. That was an interesting low-key fail. We tried to show them Karate Kid. And since the schools that they go to and most of the schools have a no bullying process, they got a completely different takeaway. And they were like, why is Daniel-san being so mean to Johnny, right? Why is he trying to, he's learning karate so he can go and beat this guy up? Like, where's the principal in all of this? That's a huge problem. So showing them films is not working out really well right now. But on the genius side, this week, we have been trying to educate ourselves about what's going on in the world. And because my wife is not from this country, she's missing a lot of historical context. She didn't learn about American history, so she doesn't understand how we got to where we are. So we've been watching. We watched Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis. We watched Glory. We watched Saving Private Ryan. We're basically doing a 400-year history class where we'll watch a movie, but not watching it where you sit and then leave. Like This is like where a two-hour movie takes six hours because sometimes you need to pause it and get the whiteboard out. So that has worked really well. The kids don't realize that they're having a, they're taking an American history class by watching you know, Oscar-nominated films and then having conversations about them. So that's been working out pretty well. Nice. I will close us out with a genius. So it's like a super simple genius. It's not even my genius. It's just a thing that my kids started doing. And I will take credit for it because they are my children. They have invented this, like, they've invented these two ice games. And so now their, like, favorite thing to do is to go into the house and get, like, two Tupperware containers full of ice cubes. And, like, half of the game is just sort of, like, throwing the ice cube, like, into the street and seeing if it can, like, seeing if it rolls somewhere or seeing if it can break. And then... The other version of the game is that somebody else grabs an empty Tupperware and someone like throws a few ice cubes in the air and the other person like sees how many ice cubes they can catch in the in the Tupperware. And it is just like it is hilarious and it is so simple. And I'm so glad that they can entertain themselves in this way because we can't take them anywhere and we really can't do much. So it's great. And I'm going to claim it as a genius that I own a fridge that makes ice cubes that that they can use. All right. Thanks everyone for sharing. So Scott, if folks want to find out, learn more about you or where can they find you on the internet? My last name is Hanselman, like Hansel and Gretel man. So if you start at Hanselman.com, you can go from there to my blog. I've been blogging for about 18 years. You can check out my podcast, Hansel Minutes, which is a 30-minute podcast, and I've done over 750 episodes of that over the last 14 years, as well as other podcasts that I've created over the years, including This Developer's Life, Ratchet and the Geek, and Azure Friday, which is a cloud technology podcast and videocast. Excellent. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Parent Driven Development Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have questions that you'd like us to chat about on air, email us at panel at parentdrivendevelopment.com or find us on Twitter at at parentdrivendev. And if you like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We're patreon.com slash parentdrivendev and rate us on iTunes. Thanks.